Boros, Borehold, whatever you want to call yeah. it. I'm going to keep calling it Boreholes. Boros. Borehold? Because... Borehold? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> borehold. Um, so, Borehold. I think I just found the intro for this show. <laughs> I'm going to keep calling it Borehold. <laughs> so, Borehold. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Joe. No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not. Not one bit. I'm Joe. You should get that right. (laughs) We should just leave that in, too. So let's keep going, Chris. Thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris, and I'm joined as always by my friend Joe. Hi everybody. <laughs> well, looks like we're all going back to school, and we're going to learn something, so let's learn a trade. How about Magecraft? Magecraft sounds great. So, Joe, have you been working on anything new? Um, well, with the pre-release of Strixhaven, you better believe that I'm working on something new. I was lucky enough to pull Extus Auric Overlord, who we'll talk about more later. Uh, but he was one of the ones that I pulled out of our pre-release box, and I am really excited for what he can do. I've got an idea that I'm brewing. It's very early stages of development. I want to do some kind of single-target removal heavy deck to focus off of his Magecraft ability with a lot of heavy creatures that have enter the battlefield effects. So I'll use the ETB ability, end up sacrificing them, or just using them as aggro fodder kind of an idea. When they die, I use the single target removal spells to get rid of my opponent's opportunities or you know permanence, whatever, bring my creatures back from the graveyard, give them more ETB effects. We'll see what happens. I don't know if it's gonna work, I can tell you EDH Rec has absolutely nothing similar to what that is, what what I've just developed, but we're going to give it a shot anyway and see what happens. What have you been working on? So I've kind of like fallen in love with Killian the Ink Duelist um, just because his ability is um, it costs two less to cast a spell that targets a creature, and it's a creature, not my own. So what I'm going to be doing is building like a Voltroni curse to where I make all of my stuff bigger. It's kind of like a Voltron-esque type deal thing where I have a bunch of auras and stuff attached to my creatures. Mm -hmm. And then auras and curses on, well, curse auras, if you want to call them that, negative auras on my opponent's creatures that are also cheaper to cost. Right. And so... I've been having a really fun time finding all of that and just going, ah, well, I mean, that's two, that's like a mana value of three, but if I have my commander out, it's a one drop, so that's viable, so I'm, right. it's yeah. actually helping me brew a certain way to where my, my, um, mana curve, my mana curve is actually a lot lower than I originally, uh, what I expect to spend is a lot lower than what it is. It's actually kind of even to, like, I have a lot of low-costing stuff, but also a decent amount of high-costing stuff that'll be reduced. So, my mana curve actually kind of, like, equals out. Right. So, it's 
cheap where it needs to be, expensive where it needs to be, but it like levels out. It's yeah. beautiful. Well, and cursed decks are always fun. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is with the cursed deck, uh, I'll be paying full price for the curse because it targets a player, not a creature. True. But still. But still. But there are, I did find a, quite a few cards, that, white and black cards that I have that deal with that love enchantment so that just added to it even more so nice um i'm also in the beginning stages of brewing a cody deck (laughs) and i'm not taking it it's not going to be a spell slinger deck then what are you going to do with it it's going to be a control deck okay because guess what i'm building my deck around not playing permanents are you? Well, normally I do want to play permanence. Well, guess what? Fractured Identity, Role Reversal. There are cards out there that let me exchange. Okay, just saying. You build a stacks deck, and we're going to have some difficulties. It's not stack. He I'm doesn't say it. He doesn't. You build a stacks deck, and you're going to be the arch enemy immediately. <laughs> well, here's the thing <laughs> only one of you will hate me at a time. Unless I copy him with Helm of the Host, which if I have Helm of the Host out on the battlefield, then I can equip it whenever I cast my commander, which then means that I can make a token of him and then just give that token away to where I'm the only one slinging spells. And Do you see why you're going to be the arch enemy? Like, right now. <laughs> huh? <laughs> I think before we get any deeper to that, we should move on to our words to live by before I start, you know, ganging up on you with the rest of our commander pod. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, it won't be a. All right, fine. If I build it as stacks, I'll let everyone know it's stacks and only bring it out when we want to play. You know, bring out the big That's guns. That's fair. That's fair. Anyway, our words to live by, and we actually have more words to live by than we normally do. Uh, because we have some things that, of course, we need to tell new players, and we want to make sure these words are understood. But Wizards also decided to make a change in terminology with the most recent set, Strixhaven, and so we wanted to get that out there as well. So, Chris, start us off. So, the first words to live by is actually sets and blocks. So, what a set is, is it refers to a singular expansion, such as... Uh, Strixhaven, or Betrayers of Kamigawa, or Tempest. Um, Then a block is two or more sets that make up a single plane. Um, You can find this with the Alara block having uh, Shards of Alara, Conflux, and Alara Reborn. Those three sets make up the Alara block. Um, But ending with uh, uh, was it War of the Spark? Uh, oh no! Before that, uh, I thought War of the Spark was like the third part to. Um, nah, Dominaria was no, its own well, separate no, thing. Like it went elite. It went. Oh, guild. that's true. You're right. No. Oh, you're right. You're right. So it, went, it was guilds, Ravnica Allegiance, and then War of the Spark. Okay, you're right. So, I apologize. I was mistaken. So the return to return to Ravnica. Right. Uh, third Ravnica. Right. Yes. Yeah. Third Ravnica block. That was the last block. So it ended with... Um, In the true sense of what a block had always been. Yes. yes. It, since um, since War of the Spark, it's now been just like one set planes. Right. Um, so 
if we say a set or a block, that's what we're referring to. If it's a set, it's a singular expansion. If it's a block, it covers two to four, uh, three to four expansions. Right. Um, Typically. However, Kaladesh is a two-set block. Yeah. Amonkhet is a two-set block. Ixalan is a two-set block. They experimented with this idea for a while. Ultimately, they decided they didn't really like it. And, well, never mind. This isn't the podcast for getting into Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro's marketing concepts. Hey, Lorwyn was a four-set block. But Lorwyn made sense. We talked about this before the show. It made sense to do it that way. Yes. But, yeah, it is the only one that's that's been four sets. I'm poor. I'm, I'm a fan of blocks just because you have three sets to tell the story. Well, see, I like the block idea simply because of you had your your base set that was huge. You know, it was the standard 250 card set, and then your two subsequent sets that followed it were much smaller, usually somewhere in the range of like 135 to 150 cards which I thought was always much more manageable. And it really tied together the idea of how these three sets should work. And it was an entire year of cards that all work together. Now you have Kaldheim, you have Strixhaven, you have Ikoria, you had Zendikar Rising. They're, they're all just like on their own and they don't really connect together in any way. They're, so it's just kind of frustrating. They're pulling you in a bunch of different directions when back in blocks you had one cohesive. Exactly. You, it, you could build a cohesion. For a year, it seemed like you had some kind, some semblance of cohesion. And now it just seems like you don't. But we're getting off topic from our words to live by. Our next word is salty. Now, I'm sure that many of our listeners have probably heard this before. But we do want to point out that when you have a salty card, a salty card, these cards either are or have the very high potential to take the fun out of a game for magic. Most of these are recognized by players and not really by Wizards of the Coast. Most notably, the Commander format. If you go to the website EDH Rec, they actually have an entire page dedicated to their saltiest cards. And these cards are, again, they're cards that when they hit the battlefield, it just makes you groan. And you know you don't want to see it. It's just going to be complex or it's going to be oppressive. And it's just something that people don't really like to deal with and usually creates a lot of feel-bad moments in the game or frustrating or complex or need a level 4 judge moments in the game. Kind of an idea. So, Chris, what's our last one, the new terminology that we need to get used to using? So, mana value. Uh, What we would formally call... Converted mana cost or CMC, um, it is now mana value or MV, and uh, we will probably use CMC frequently as we try to remember to transition into mana value. But old habits die hard. Bear with us as we get used to this new terminology. So, with that all said and done and out of the way, let's start focusing on Magecraft. Joe, do you want to take this one? Absolutely. Magecraft is a new word that you'll see on a bunch of cards. Now, I say word rather than keyword ability, and we'll get to that in a moment. Magecraft actually released as a ability word in the Strixhaven set. There are a total of 24 cards 
with Magecraft printed on them in the Strixhaven set proper. We have three in white, three in blue, two in black, one in green, excuse me, one in red, two in green, six in multicolor, one in colorless. And we actually have several that are in the hybrid mana category. And so we're gonna use the college names for that. We have one in the Lorehold color combination, two in Prismari color combination, one in Witherbloom, one in Silverquill, and one in Quandrix. Now, of course, each one of the schools that we have from Strixhaven focuses on a slightly different effect. Chris, tell us about the different schools. All right, so uh, each college focuses on something different, and it actually plays nicely with their colorings. Um, Silver Quill is white and black, and they specialize in pumping and evasion. Prismari is blue and red, and they are for singular big effects. Uh, Quandrix is Simic, so they're blue and green, and they're plus one, plus one counters and creating resources. Witherbloom is black and green, and it's all about life gain. Um, and Lorehold, which is white-red, is surprisingly graveyard effects. Um, so... I gotta be honest, I really like what they've done with the different colleges and how they've kind of taken a slightly different approach with them. Graveyard effects are not common in the red-white color combination. The only... T with red, the only graveyard recursions that you had was artifacts. Right. Uh, and white, it's small creatures. Yeah. But now with Lorehold, I think like they're playing around with this color combination. And it's the first time in a very long time that white-red, or Lorehold... As we have now lovingly called it, um, is getting kind of a power upgrade in the commander playset group and like in the commander format because mm -hmm. Boros was a little lackluster. There wasn't too much mono white is starting to get up there, but now with Lorehold bringing all of its bag of tricks to the table, it's making white red a lot better in right. the commander sense which i am happy to see because there's a lot of good commanders that are in those colors it's just that the support for them wasn't really there and now it's starting to show up so i'm loving this well i i really like that they've distinguished the colleges of of strixhaven from the guilds of ravnica yeah and so you you you're not going to confuse lorehold with boros yeah. All right. I mean, they, they are two distinctly different ideas, and that's really cool. So. Yeah. Like, with Lorehold, it's all about history and education, whereas with Boros from Guilds, it's all about justice, order, stuff like that. So, two same colors, different yeah. concepts, and we've blabbered enough. Joe... Let's put us to sleep with some rules. Uh, the rules actually on this keyword, or on this ability word, are very simple. All right. uh, the rule is 207.2c. An ability word appears in italics at the beginning of some abilities. Ability words are similar to keywords in that they tie together cards that have similar functionality, 
but they have no special rules meaning and no individual in entries in the comprehensive rules. So essentially what we're saying here, you're going to see the word magecraft in italics on the card. Magecraft is to give you an initial idea that whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, something is going to happen. Kind of like how landfall is italics. Or uh, inspired from the Theros, the original Theros block. It reminds you that... Or heroic from the original Theros block, yeah. It reminds you that whenever you do something, you get rewarded for it. Exactly. But what that reward is, is going to be unique to each card. So you never want to look at Magecraft and say, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. You can look at it and say, whenever I cast or copy an instant of sorcery, something is going to happen. And, and based off of the cards that we have, we're going to talk about in a moment, every Magecraft payoff is very unique to the color combination or, or uh, the card's placement in the color wheel. All right. So Chris, talk to us about our first featured card with Magecraft. So, our first card is Professor Onyx. She is a legendary planeswalker, Liliana, for four black black. Comes in with loyalty of five. Her static ability, Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Uh, you can plus one her for, to lose one life. But you look at the top three of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the rest into the graveyard. Minus three. Each opponent sacrifices a creature with the greatest power among creatures that player controls. And minus eight. Each opponent may discard a card. If they don't, they lose three life. Repeat this process six more times. So, my, you know, not even taking into account all of her Planeswalker abilities... The Magecraft ability by itself is just fantastic. I mean, and, and once again, it gets into some of the ideas with Magecraft where you're, you're just, in addition to casting your instant or sorcery, whatever it happens to be, you're going to drain and gain. And, and it's not just one opponent. The templating they're using is very specific that they're trying to make Commander more of a focus where each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. So that's, that's just an amazing card. Plus, I, I like, you know, I think this is one of the first times that we've seen a Planeswalker not have their name in the card name. I think you are correct. Because this is Professor Onyx. It doesn't say it's Liliana something, something, something. It's right. not Liliana the Veil, Liliana Vez. It's Professor Onyx, legendary Planeswalker, Liliana. There you go. I actually kind of like it. It gives her a new personality, especially if you follow the story and what happened right. in, uh, what happened on Ravnica. But it's nice to see that she's found a new home. Yes, and I, I've since getting back into Commander, I've played a lot more Black than mm -hmm. I used to. I love her, and I hate that she's a Chase Mythic. I know. I'm still probably going to buy one as it's just a single. But oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic card. Mm -hmm. Fantastic card. Joe, what what you got for us? Well, the next card we're going to discuss is actually the, the commander of the, the new deck that I'm brewing. It's Extus Auric Overlord. Now, Extus Auric Overlord is actually a double-faced card, but we're only going to talk about the Extus side of the card. Extus costs one generic, a white, black black it's a legendary creature human warlock uh, that has double strike 
is a 2-4, and then the important part, it has Magecraft. And it's whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, return target non-legendary creature card from your graveyard to your hand. And again, a fantastic reanimation card in in colors that work well with that idea. You do have a bunch of different idea or different cards that can help you out with that. Loris of the Dream Den from the Aquarius set, Debtor's Knell, which originally came from like original Ravnica block, I think and then has been reprinted a couple times, but allows you to bring stuff back from the graveyard. Uh, just fantastic. That Again, you could... You're, you're getting a two-for-one every time you do... Every time you cast an instant or sorcery. So if you Doomblade your opponent's creature, you kill their creature, and you get to bring one back from your graveyard into your hand. It's just... It, it's a phenomenal resurrection spell that rewards you just for doing what you would do in a game normally. Backside of the card is also extremely powerful... Uh, in the right kind of deck, but we're not going to talk about that right now. We don't need to. Chris, go on. Next card. All right, next one is Clever Luminomancer. Uh, it's for a white mana. Creature, human wizard, zero one. Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Clever Luminar gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. So, it's a one drop. Zero one. But... Because you're in white, that means you have, you're probably in Silver Quill, which means it's a lot of pump and evasion. Yeah. So you can give it lifelink. You're casting, you know, cantrippy spells, you know, ones and two drops or whatever. Mm-hmm. Ounces make pounds. So you cast three yeah. spells in one turn. You cast three instants in one turn, which isn't that hard. Not really. Especially yeah. if you have access to the Mystical Archive, because a lot of those are like ones and two drops. Right. Um, like, you cast a bunch of spells, suddenly it's a 6-7 or a 8-9. Yeah. It gets big. Plus, you give it flying. Uh, if you can give it flying, give it flying. If you can give it lifelink, even better. Vigilance, yes. So, it just gets... Now, the downside is that it's in turn. But still, you're absolutely right. The Magecraft is cumulative per turn. So, yes, you can, if, if you cast three spells, the Lumamancer gets plus six, plus six. Until end of turn. And, until end of turn. But that doesn't matter. Now you have a six, seven on the board, and you cast three spells. If you cast... Uh, oh, what it was, uh, Path to Exile, getting rid of one of their creatures, and then you pa- you cast Generous Gift, getting rid of another one of their creatures, and then you cast Raise the Alarm, creating two tokens at the same time, you have a 6-7 that you're going to swing in with, and you have two blockers at the same time. You also eliminated two of their creatures. That That's a huge swing in the opposite direction. Granted, that would be more of like a commander game, but still. All right, yes, I can kind of see where it is. Though, if, fine, if we're going into Commander, you know, till end of turn, cool, discontinuity, end the turn. Okay, yeah, you, you can easily get rid of it, yeah. you're right. I, yeah. I, it's not like it's at a top of the top tier Magecraft ability in no, that, that sense. That one's later down, down yeah. on the list. But still, I mean, it's it's pretty awesome. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong, I, yeah. I love it. I mean, dude, I have her in one of my, I have her in my Killian deck. Yeah, because she's that good. Mm-hmm. It she's good for a singular explosive turn. Exactly. Whenever I need to get something done, 
Boom. There it is. There it is. Yeah. All right, Joe, your turn. All right. The next card we have is Archmage Emeritus. It is a creature, human wizard, for two generic, blue, blue. It's a 2-2 creature, and it has Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, draw a card. I mean, I can't think of a more necessary card in any spell slinger deck. Uh, just the ability to do cantrippy ideas, you know, cast cheap spells, and then every time you do, you get to draw a card. That's that, that's amazing. And I'm looking up here, you know, it's it's <laughs> right now it's a buck buck and a quarter for, to get this card. I can't believe, honestly, that it's that cheap. It's, it is just an amazement to me. You, you throw this in a Locust God deck, a Niv-Mizzet Parun deck. Um, it would be, it, it's an amaz- it is almost an auto-include in so many decks. With, so with me, re- like I said earlier before the show, I'm rebuilding one of my, I'm retooling my Lutri deck to be a Prismari deck because I managed to pull one of the Elder Dragons. Um, if I get one of those, he's definitely going in it. Absolutely, because and he should. helps. He helps with card draw. Plus, I have a um, Nip Mizzet, the one where you draw a card and he pings. And I yeah. think I also have a Curiosity in there. That way, I can get that infinite loop going just to kill the board. Fun. Okay, <laughs> know to watch out for that. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> it's I have like three as of right now. I think I have three <laughs> enchantments in that deck, and I have no way to tutor enchantments. Okay. All right. All right. It's All just right. luck of the draw for I that one. Right. Beast but, within your enchantments. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So with him, he's definitely going in it. Like if I, I kind of want to get multiples of them, that way I can kind of like make him as a personal like auto include. Oh yeah. Because especially in commander games, card draw is important because one it helps you fix, helps you do stuff. Plus card advantage. Yeah. Card advantage is key to a lot of games. Now don't get me wrong. He he's he, he's a four drop. Yeah, he's a four drop, and he's and, a two two. He dies to removal very quickly. Dies you know? to removal. It, it's not Mystic Remora or anything like that, you know. Um, but but it's still a solid card, and that Magecraft ability, this is one of the ones they spoiled early. And when I saw this, I mean, I really thought Magecraft was completely broken with the, the, the types of payoffs you were going to get simply for casting spells. So Kind of like how you felt with, like, Landfall or Ward. I... I Still feel that way, but we'll get to. I, I've slightly changed my mind on Ward, but we'll get to that. What's our next card, Chris? Alrighty, this card has actually been making a lot of splash, not in standard, but in historic on Arena because Arena they released the cards a week early, right? And so, we, so I've been able to you know scour some podcasts, look at some articles, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And this card is actually a powerhouse. As a mid to late sweeper. Okay. This one, because of its ability. You gonna tell him the name? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Carrot. Dangle it. <laughs> <laughs> this card is Dragon's Guard Elite for one and a green. Creature, human druid, 2 2. Not too bad. You know, Solid two, stats. Two drop, 2 2. Yeah. Awesome. Magecraft, whenever you cast an instant or cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, put a plus one plus one counter on Dragon's Guard Elite. All right. Solid. Solid. Four green green. Double the number of plus one plus one counters on Dragon's Guard Elite. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I I love that ability. I think it's a little high, but you're right. In late game, if you get one of these out and you you're able to pump it a little bit, yeah, it's it it's amazing. Still dies to a doom blade. Well, no, it'd be historic, so more like heartless act. But still, no, oh no, it wouldn't die to heartless act because it have a bunch of counters on it. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. Oh, that, that's good. That is okay. why this thing has been has been making such that's a true. It's a two drop, two two. Yes, it dies to removal early in the game, but when you cast or copy, yeah. So they try to do something. So they try to shock it. Cool. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to cast Heroic Intervention. Right. Cool. It just got bigger. And indestructible. <laughs> That's That was the first green card that I pulled out of my head. Like, but, but you're right. Yeah. You're absolutely oh, right, yeah. All right, fine. You're going to shock... All right, fine. You're going to shock. try to shock my guy? Okay, you have a 1-1 one, one bird. I'm going to shock yours. My guy just survived. Yours did it. Exactly. So, it's rewarding you for playing the game. Right. Playing instants and sorceries. It is. It absolutely And is. it's turning into and like I said, in standard, uh, like I was telling you before the episode. Well, we have a lot of discussions before the episode. We do have a lot of discussions. <laughs> but before the episode, as I was telling you all of this, in standard, everything is Eldraine. Yeah. Throne of Eldraine is just running rampant. Everyone's running an Eldraine deck just because yeah. it's so Those, overpowered. the cards are so overpowered. In Historic, where there are people that are able to build creatively and have fun. Right. Just because the card pool's a lot bigger and it gets farther away from Eldraine. This thing is shining in there because you have access to the Mystical Archives, which mm -hmm. are cheaper cards. Plus, you're playing Historic, so you aren't limited to color restrictions like us Commander players are. Right. So, you get an even bigger card pool to pull from and it's just turning into a powerhouse because it gets so big so quickly that you can just sweep with a play set of them yeah on like turn eight yeah whenever you really can so these things are just getting bigger 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 swing for win awesome yeah. it's i like it because it's an it's rewarding you to do the things that you're supposed to do in magic and that's play spells instance and sorceries if you copy them even better it's also encouraging you to turn your stuff sideways. Yeah. Another important part of magic. Yeah. Unless you're playing red and then you can just fling it or thud it. Uh, you could. You could. All right, Joe, what's our last card? So our last one is another another one of those cards that we think is going to become extremely popular uh, and, and probably make it... It's one of those uncommons that will get up above the $1 or $2 mark at some point. It's Storm Kiln Artist. It gets plus one, plus zero for each artifact you control. I should also tell you, it costs three generic mana and one red. It's a dwarf shaman, and it's a 2-2. Two -two. It gets plus one, plus zero for each artifact you control, and it's magecraft ability. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, create a treasure token. Now, we've known for a while that the direction they're taking red, as far as ramp goes, has nothing to do with getting more lands into play. It's treasure tokens. Which is fine. Hey, that's great. If that's how they want to give red ramp, we'll take it. That's and, fine. And you can do a lot with that. <laughs> and right, and by giving it artifacts to do its ramp, that stays inside the red color. Exactly. Philosophy. Yeah, I'm actually okay with it. That's fine. The no fact big deal. that he gets 
Um, one dwarf, which Magda, he's going in again. Right. Yeah. But he, he's going to be going into Magda deck. He's also the one card that I, for some reason, one card that I didn't manage to pull. Me from, either. From whenever we did our pre-release. Yeah. I missed it, and if I had gotten it, he would have gone into my Prismari deck that I built, because yeah. why not? Why not? Yeah, exactly. And, um, he's, I want him, I'm specifically searching for him so that I can put him into a couple of my red decks, just because... Yeah. Red slings a lot of spells, and why not make a bunch of tokens? Right, yeah. yeah. And he gets bigger, so... Again, Flame. Well, uh, But the, the whole idea of getting him, making him bigger, I think that's mostly for limited. Um, I mean, the, the depending on the format, you may not want to use him as a, in combat. You know, you, you just... No, I want to leave him alone. I want him to just be. <laughs> he, he's pretty much a... Um, well, let's see, mana rocks are artifacts that just generate mana, so he's a slot machine? I like it. Let's do it. Yeah, All he's right. a slot machine. Yeah, he's a slot machine. You play... You, Never mind. He's We're, a rigged slot machine. I should just edit that section out. I just <laughs> went off on a weird tangent. <laughs> Alright, so those are our featured cards. You can tell there are a lot with the, the Magecraft ability and a lot that goes into it. And every one of them was really different. They were all sort of based off of where the 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 color kind of directs them within the color pie. And, and it worked out really well uh, for each one of those individual cards. When we start looking at the dominant colors, you can tell that there really isn't one color that dominates above the other. Uh, red kind of gets the short end of the stick, but... At the same time, I mean, we're not talking like there's a lot in one color overall. They are fairly balanced altogether, so we don't have to worry too much about that. Chris, do we have any featured decks that use Magecraft right now? Um, decks that focus on Magecraft itself? Too early to tell. We are recording this literally on release day for paper. Right. Um, so the only data that we've had so far is... Um, only from what we've been able to find from Arena. Now, with that being said, give it a little time. Someone out there might be able to break it somehow. Uh, it, in standard, it's probably not going to... It might be, you know, like one, maybe two cards. It, yeah, you're not going to see an entire deck. Now, I can absolutely see... You know, we were talking about Dragon's Guard Elite. It's a powerhouse card in certain decks. Mm-hmm. And so I really think that's how Magecraft is going to end up working out, where you're, you're not going to see decks themed around the Magecraft idea, but you are going to see cards with Magecraft playing an important role in whatever deck they are included. Oh, yeah. Like, Stormkiln Artist, you, you're in red, so you're going to be slinging spells. Right. You're going to get... You're going to get you're going to get paid for doing that by getting more treasures. And yeah. if you pair him with Prismari, guess what? Instead of instead of having to sack those artifacts, they get to stay around and they become literal rocks. Right. So, like, Stormkiln, he's going to be in... Uh, uh, it's going to be, like, Artifact Storm. Yeah. Is pretty much where he's going to be going. Um, like, Spell Satchel... 
the only colorless one, mm-hmm. you could literally throw them in anywhere and still kind of get good payoffs out of it. Yeah, you probably could. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Spell Satchel is a, an artifact for two. Its magecraft is whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, put a book counter on Spell Satchel. You can tap to remove a book counter from Spell Satchel to add one colorless mana uh, to your pool, and then three generic tap, remove three book counters from Spell Satchel, draw a card. So, uh, yeah, you're right. You will pro- you, you can find a home for most Magecraft cards, and, and I think you know, the ultimate deciding factor for any Magecraft card is how much of a payoff is it actually going to have taking up a slot in your deck. You know, and as long as you can justify that payoff, I, I really think Magecraft is going to be extremely powerful. It, it rewards you for doing what you would normally do in most games. Uh, I mean, most decks have some kind of instant or sorcery spell. Not all, but most. And most have a significant number that would make playing Magecraft reasonable. Again, not all, but I, I really think that it's, it's going to be a, a, a good quality ability word with a lot of payoffs down the road. So if we're going to try playing with this ability, there are a couple of considerations that we might want to make. Um, first and foremost, you should probably have a reasonable amount of instants and sorceries for it to be useful. But again, it's a balancing act between magecraft payoff and instants and sorceries. So even if you yeah. have the deck right on paper, it could flop on the table. It could. Yeah, the variance of magic is something you just have to deal with all the time. Um, another thing that you can do is double the triggered abilities. Um, I know in red there is... No, wait, that's a loyalty ability card. Um, uh, in older formats, uh, I believe it's modern, uh, Stryonic Resonator, where you get to... Correct. You, you pay to tap Stryonic Resonator, copy target, uh, triggered ability. Well, Magecraft is just a triggered ability. It is a triggered because ability. Because it says whenever. Right. So because it's a triggered ability, you can use Stryonic Resonator to copy it. And so you play a, oh, I don't know, Giant Griff. That's a, that's a green for it, right? I want to say yes. That sounds right. Yeah. Play a Giant g- Growth on your uh, Dragon Guard Elite. All right, cool. It triggers her to get a 1-1 counter. You pay 2, so you pay 3 mana. Tap it to trigger that ability twice, which then you get another counter on it. So for 3 green mana... Plus Sorry. five, plus five, and two of that is counters that stay permanent. That's a, that's a good deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good deal. So, well, and along the same line, you have Lithoform Engine, uh, you know, from that, Zendikar Rising. Yep. So it would allow you to do the same thing. So we have something in Standard that allows you to copy um, uh, triggered abilities. Right. So if you can copy those, if you can double up on those triggered abilities, do it. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is by far one of the most important ones. You can't get that Magecraft payoff if the creatures aren't out, so protection is key. So many things die to removal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a podcast called Dies to Removal. Right. It, it is, so, I mean, it doesn't matter how big your Dragon's Guard Elite is, it will still die to a Doom Blade. So you gotta, you got to really make sure that whatever you do, those creatures are protected. 
If you're playing against somebody who is using Magecraft, though, honestly, we were racking our brains about this, and it, it becomes kind of difficult to play against someone who is benefiting from Magecraft. Your best bet is to have significant single target removal in your deck. Um, now, I know that this takes up slots in your deck, and it may not be what your deck is designed to do. And so hopefully that if you don't have the single target removal available, um, I, I, you know, I hope that you're able to just outvalue your opponent in the long run. But that's, you know, that, that's one of the biggest advantages you can have. Uh, you could also have some kind of aggro set that you know goes after your opponents real quick, and obviously they're not going to put their magecraft creatures into harm's way unless they absolutely have to. Uh, the other option you have is eliminate triggered abilities even going on the stack. Now, this isn't going to happen in standard, but I did look up a number of opportunities that you could do to make this happen. All right, did find several. The first is Silence. Now, this one is an older one. Its most recent reprinting is in Time Spiral Remastered, but you, you'll probably easier find it from M14. It is an instant for one white, and it says your opponents can't cast spells this turn. You have to play it during their upkeep, and it only lasts for one turn, but hey, maybe that works for you. All right. Well, that, and also if you're playing in like modern, where that is uh, legal. To play. Right. You can have a playset of them, so you can have four of them in the deck. So you could have like two in hand, and you go, okay, you're only going to be playing. You're either going to be doing um, creature stuff or lands this turn. Oh no no no! Can't cast spells. So you get to play lands. That's oh, it. Oh no no no! They get to, <laughs> they get to play lands and activate abilities. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's all, all they get to do. So you could. <laughs> oh, have, that's what you meant by yeah. creature stuff. Okay. Yeah. So you can do activated abilities. So right. you know. You go, oh, you're playing Magecraft. Cool. I have two silences in hand. Go, okay. Let you get one off. That way, you, you know, you get in their head and think that they can keep doing it. I wouldn't even do that. Upkeep. Boom. Silence. All right. That's where we differ as players. <laughs> I like to lull them into a full sense of security. If it's early game and I have a couple of, and I'm able to play a silence, I'll hold that back until they might have more things to do right. Hey, depends so on the game. So situational. So yeah. you can so again, white. But then again, it is white. So it is the control colors. Right. So silence, that's a good choice. You're you're going to find actually a number of these have white in them. Uh, a creature that can help you out is Angelic Arbiter. It costs 5 colorless, white white. It's an angel that has flying. Each opponent who casts a spell this turn can't attack with creatures, and each opponent who attacked with a creature this turn can't cast spells. It's a stretch, but it might help. All right. Another one is Dragon Lord Dromoka. Now, admittedly, this one is probably out of reach of most players, as it's it's a twenty three dollar card. All right. But if you happen to have one, um, it, it it is a Elder Dragon from the uh, Dragons of Tarkir set. It costs four colorless, a green and a white. It can't be countered. It has flying lifelink. And your opponents can't cast spells during your turn. Again, not fantastic, but a way to sort of shut them down. Is one of these cards on your list uh, City of Solitude? 
It was not, but we can look that up real quick, and so we can give people the information about City of Solitude. Uh, why don't you look that up, and I'll talk about our next card. Uh, the next one I had was Grand Abolisher. It is, it's one that came from M12 and Commander 2014. Now again, this is probably out of the reach of most players as it's at its cheapest, $28 right now. But it is a 2-2 human cleric for white-white. And during your turn, your opponents can't cast spells or activate abilities of artifacts, creatures, or enchantments. I mean, not casting the spells is probably the best idea. Uh, Chris, City of Solitude, tell us what it does. So City of Solitude is a enchantment for two and a green, and it says each player may play spells and abilities uh, only during his or her turn. Well, hey, that, again, it's not perfect, but it does limit the opportunities for them to gain those Magecraft triggers. Now, this one is a double-edged sword. Yes. <laughs> because it does say each player. Right. So if they do something on their turn, you can't... If they attack, you can't pull out a combat trick. Right. Well, you can't pull out something at instant speed to deal with it, and you can't activate abilities. You're right. But um, with this, players can't cast spells or abilities except for during their own turn. Right. So with this, it shuts down. If they try to do something, if they try to cast a spell, they can't cast spells during your turn for the yeah. effect. So you limit them to only half the turn, but at the same time, you're eliminating your instance. Your yeah, it's give and take. But this one, but City of Solitude is only Legacy, Vintage, and Commander. Right. So yeah. Well, and a number of the cards that we've talked about so far, they're not going to do you much good in Standard. However, oh, that's also a well. Oh, that, yeah, that's also a very expensive card. Yeah, at forty one dollars right now for the for the Visions version. Um, we do have one card that is legal in Standard right now. It actually came out in the Strixhaven set that does help shut down Magecraft in an indirect way. Uh, the front face is Flame Scroll Celebrant, which you can find that out information on your own. But we're actually looking at the back side of this card for Revel in Silence. It's an instant that costs two, uh, white, white. And it says your opponents can't cast spells or activate Planeswalker's loyalty abilities this turn. Uh, and then you exile Revel in Silence. So there is a way to shut down, you know, uh, Magecraft sort of. But again, it's it's one of those things where you, you can't... It's so hard to shut it down permanently, you know. Uh, so you really need a lot of single target removal or you just need to outvalue your opponent in the long run. Uh so thankfully there aren't a number, a large number of cards with Magecraft, and, and the ones that are really good are probably only going to show up in very specific situations, but it is something that you know we've seen. Um, and I think we, we've pretty much talked about how it's used in different formats as well, you know, and unfortunately we're just kind of in this, this weird set where some of the cards are going to find a home if they're useful in other formats. We're probably not going to see it too much in standard uh, because, well, as we've said before, Throne of Eldraine just does things better right now, so we're having to deal with that. And we'll just have to wait until Eldraine rotates out in September to see really how powerful Strixhaven becomes. 
Happy birthday to me. Oh, I know. Indeed. All right. So, shall we talk about a little bit of extended reading for those people who want to do some of that? Oh, come on, Teach. We've already been, we've already taken some lessons today. Oh, right, I know. What you got? And today has been quite an extensive lesson, but I think this one is, is pretty good. So, the article that we have for today for your extended reading, it's called My Most Important Deck Building Rule. It's by Gavin Verhey, and it was published in February 2018. I think this was before Gavin became the, sort of like the mouth of wizards, just under Mark Rosewater. Anyway, you'll see Gavin do a lot of Good Morning Magic episodes on YouTube right now. So I think this article came from before he did that. Anyway, uh, Gavin provides some really important deck building tips that are strategically aimed at beginner deck builders. All right, if you haven't done a lot of this in the past, he gives you some really good ideas about focusing a deck, making sure you're following a theme, making sure your, your cards sort of fall into that theme instead of just creating a pile of cards which you're going to use to play. And he does provide some helpful examples to help illustrate his process, thought process as we go along. Might have to give that one a read. Um, now, Joe, time to clean up. So it's time for a question. Here's the question. If you could design a set or revisit a plane, which would it be or what would it look like? This is an easy answer for me. I really wish that Wizards would revisit the plane of Kamigawa. I really liked the Kamigawa uh, block. I thought it had some really interesting mechanics. We had splice. We had ninjutsu. We had a lot of interactions with spirits. We had the original flip cards came from Kamigawa, and I still have my Arayo Sorotami Ascendant that I absolutely love. It's banned in Commander. Don't even get an ideas. Um, but <laughs> oh yeah, that one's actually a salty card. Yes. Oh, it's an incredibly salty card, but I loved it. Um, it it's it's I, great. I have the one that is. Uh, um, I think it's pretty much like hexproof or shroud. Yes. Uh, yeah. The white one where it's like if you have like twenty or if you have like thirty or more life, you can. Mm -hmm. You flip them, and then you get, uh, like, hex... I think it's hexproof or... Something like that. Not hexproof, you know, specifically, but it, that's the idea. Yeah. I'm trying to find a deck. I'm actually thinking about putting yeah. it into my Killian deck, just because it's funny. Why not? Exactly. But I, I really liked some of the mechanics they had in Kamigawa. They had some fascinating characters, and just some really awesome cards. Uh, Throat Slitter is still... Uh, I think it's a $5 uncommon which is just awesome, and I've got a play set of those. I loved it. Ink Eyes Servant of the Oni was just w w such an amazing ninjutsu card. The Kami of the Smiling Crescent Moon is such an underrated and overlooked card draw. Blue, blue, engine. one, three, Kami, and everyone draws an extra card. At the beginning of their, yeah, at, the, at their draw step. It is such an underrated card. Um, Mirror Gallery, which is incredibly expensive. It eliminates the legend rule. Um, yeah, but so, I, I know that one because I'm like, I really want Mirror Gallery. And then I look at the price and went, I don't. I have one copy, and it's one of those that, like, you, you get it at the time, and it's not that useful to you right then. But give it a decade, and it's incredibly useful now. I mean, I'm so glad I have it. <laughs> then, you know, Eldraine and Ikoria. 
come out, and then you go, oh, I can break the legend rule. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, Toshiro Umizawa is another one, and he's he's a, a black creature that has Bushido, and then he ends up allowing you to recur instants from your graveyard. Uh, so it, it's a really cool. Like I said, I just, there were some awesome cards that came for that. Unfortunately, Kamigawa suffered from being viewed as an underpowered set, which was admittedly in its time in its time frame was accurate. They had the Mirrodin block, which was incredibly overpowered. I mean, the, the Ravager Affinity deck was the first deck that I really encountered as being incredibly broken and needed to get banned from type two play. Yes, type two play. Um, and so Mir- Mirrodin was incredibly overpowered. And then the Ravnica block that followed it... Now, granted, I didn't play much in Rav- Ravnica because I you know, wasn't able to... That I was went the off. first one? First, first time to Ravnica. The, the first Ravnica experience was just a well-thought-out set. And, and how, they, how they had the guild set up and how they organized everything, it was extremely well-thought-out. And yes, Kamigawa seemed to be a little bit lackluster when you look at it compared to those two blocks. And yes, it was underpowered compared to those. But it had some great ideas, it had some wonderful lore, and I think it would be wonderful to go back and, and, and revisit that. However, again, it didn't sell well. It was considered underpowered. You know, but at the same time, you know, you, you look at some of the other things that are going on with some of the different sets and, and how they're organized. And like, well, you know, as far as the underpoweredness of Kamigawa goes, really every set since Throne of Eldraine has been underpowered. And yet, if you would just get rid of Throne of Eldraine, they'd probably go right back to normal. So, yeah, and they're all fun places that we would like to revisit. So I, I, I wish they would give Kamigawa another chance and take us back there at some point. I just don't think they will. I'd also like to revisit Lorwyn, but that's mostly because I didn't play when Lorwyn was originally released, and I would like to be involved in the game when we go back to that plane because I thought the whole Lorwyn Shadow Moor concept was... Even tied. Really, right. It was just really interesting. So, I mean, I that's just me. I mean, I like I like that whole block just because I got an Una and a couple other fairies out of it. Yeah. And I, one of the, let's see, my first real commander deck that I built was Izuri. Mm-hmm. And then I, at that same time, I also built an Una, Queen of the Fae deck. Right. And that one was Blue Black Mill, but... It was milling with Una because you can pay X um, and target player exiles the top X of their library yeah. and you create uh, and you choose a color. And for each color of that card of that color, you create a 1 1 fairy token. Mm-hmm. So if you're going, so if you target a monocolored deck, yeah, it pretty much at least a third of what you hit is going to be a it's going to result in a token. Right. If you get right, right. multicolors, then it goes down, you know. Yeah. But for me, I would love to have a set that's, like, designed around, like, I kind of did this with the custom commander card, where I took something from one of my fandoms and brought it, and kind of brought it over. So you mean, like, Strixhaven? Yeah, like Strixhaven with, you know, Harry Potter coming to magic, 
Um, or like Ikoria kind of with kaijus. Kind of. Yeah. With, you know, Godzilla and the, all the kaijus. So like I like these sets that have like kind of double meaning. Mm-hmm. Like it's obviously a magic set. Yeah. It's obviously something from Watsy, Hasbro, whatever. But you can tell because it has different schools, even though, you know, each of them focuses on something different, there's still rivalry. It's five different schools, but yeah. in one university, one, you know, place. Mm-hmm. So there's rivalries between all of them. And so it's obviously, you know, taking a lot from Harry Potter, plus, you know, a lot of them, you know, look like wizards. But, um, like, I would love to see more, like, kind of like kind of crossover like crossover adaptation kind of sort of not the walking dead okay do not bring something directly into magic glad you clarified that all right now don't get me wrong the uh kaiju box topper you know special cards yes those ones i absolutely love now the naming of them is a little different because it has like their you know kaiju name and then the card name yes but I'm kind of okay with that as long as you know what it is. But, like, I would love to see, like, a crossover adaptation or, like, an adaptation of something. Because the card that I made is based off of one of my favorite fandoms. And so I would love to see, like, I'm actually into, I'm actually having the thought of, like, going through and, like, picking out, like, a bunch of their jokes and everything Mm -hmm. and making magic cards for them. Oh, okay. So, like, um, so, like, right now I have, uh, Morchette, Deadliest Bounty Hunter, Legendary Creature, Snail. Because it, because of one of their jokes that they told, and it's, um, so, this company, you get free advertisement from us, awesome, uh, shameless plug, Rooster Teeth. Yeah. So, they had, you know, a million dollars butt with a snail, um... And it was in their. They even featured it in their second Laser Team movie. They they brought that joke in, and I absolutely. As soon as they said it, I absolutely laughed so hard because it was so. It's such a stupid joke that it's just gone. Yeah. Everywhere, and now I'm making it into a magic card, so you know it's kind of come full circle for me. And like I, like how I am passionate. How I'm so passionate about you know now wanting to design this handful of cards myself. Mm-hmm. I would love to see another, like, adaptation or crossover, and like, either with Star Wars, if they can, you know, figure that one out, or, like, other, or, like, other big fandoms, like, you know, I don't know, Supernatural, eh, they kind of already have well, that. Well, you're, the- you're gonna get Lord of the Rings and Warhammer, so... And Dungeons and Dragons. And Dungeons and Dragons. But you know, you know so. but Dungeons and Dragons is also part of Wat is part of Watsy, so that one's kinda it's still its own fandom, but I'll take it. I can also get behind the whole Kamigawa thing because I lived in Japan for like three for yeah. like a total of three years. So having lived in Japan, I've actually fallen more and more in love with Kamigawa because I can I recognize things in some of the artwork and some of the lore and everything mm-hmm. like that. Like, it just makes a lot more sense to me because I kind of lived where that plane is based off of. Yeah. 
So, Kamigawa, I've always, I've always like secretly loved because, I mean, there was that one was like baby Dominaria with how many legendaries there were in it. Yeah, there there true. were a lot of legendaries in it. That's why they had to have the mirror gallery. Yeah. But like, I would love to go back to Kamigawa or. Even though Ravnica, not Ravnica, Alara. Alara was, we, the Alara block went, hey, here's Alara. Alara's being destroyed. Alara's rebuilt. I want to go back to Alara. Check on them. I mean, we've been to Zendikar twice, Ravnica three times. Yep. If we're going to be going back to planes multiple times, oh, and we're going back to Innistrad. Yep. So let's go, you know, to like Alara. Let's check in on them or... What's another Phyrexia? Let's find out what's going on there. Oh, you mean new Phyrexia? No, I mean Phyrexia. Wrath. Let's go back to Wrath. We haven't been there for a long, long time. Actually, I think Wrath got destroyed, but that's not the point. But we got way off topic. Anyway, the point is... Yeah, the point is I would like to revisit Kamigawa and Lorwyn, and Chris would like to see some more fandom-based sets in the future so that's where we're at chris if our listeners have a question for us how can they get in touch with us Alrighty. so if you want to get in touch with us you can always email us at mtg under the hood at gmail.com or you can also reach us on the twitter birds at mtg under the hood um as always i'm chris i'm joe Thank you again for listening to this episode. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode, so stay tuned.